Broadcasting from the commodity capital of the world, Zurich, Switzerland, this is Insider's Guide to Energy. This edition to Insider's Guide to Energy is brought to you by Fidectus. Go to www.fidectus.com for more information. Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy. I'm your host, Chris Sass, and with me as always is co-host Johan Oberg. Johan, how's it going? Pretty good, Chris. Uh, last time we spoke, I had a bit of a cold, getting over it, so uh, I'm looking forward to get, come out again and, and uh, be up and running. How are you doing? I am doing really well. I am uh, seeing you smile today. It's 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 pretty exciting to see you feeling better. Uh, I, I think um, I'm excited about the show. We've been planning this episode for a long time. You mm-hmm. and I have talked about it. We are really happy to get the guest because so much of our, our, our focus on Insider's Guide to Energy is about renewables, sustainable, and, and, and where the industry is going. And you know the guest that you've uh, attracted to the show uh, seems to fit that bill perfectly because I think we're going to talk about things that are relevant there. No, I, I agree. <clears throat> I think this is a topic that we've been touching on back and forth a little bit, but maybe not drilled down into specifically and really interesting as well is that you know during when we record this and and the week before and the coming week is the cop 26 in glasgow you know the whole thing around sustainability and the un where where they bring together the politicians they bring together some of the ceos of the large companies and some celebrities here and there royalties i I would assume because it's the uk but the interesting part of this they all talk about you know how they're going to address this what they're doing and the ceos comes out and some of these are obviously then touching on the energy part. And, and that is something that I think will be really interesting also to, to, uh, to kind of ping pong a little bit with our guests today in terms of how does corporate really look at this and what are the actions they're doing, especially on a specific topic? Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting is a number of our previous guests have been at the conference and are doing posts around the conference. So I'm watching the LinkedIn activity for more than a handful of guests have been on the show over the last year and a half. And, and they're very engaged in the conference going on right now. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this guest is, is interacting and what, what this impact might be to their business. But, you know, I, I think it's probably time that we actually have the show as opposed to talk about maybe having a show. So I'm going to turn it over to you to kick us off. No, f- fair enough. I think that's a good point. We, we, we tend to kind of get engaged already, but it's the guest that is the star of the show. So w- welcome to the Insider's Guide uh, to Energy, uh, Luca Padretti, the CEO and founder of Pexapark. Good evening. Welcome. A pleasure to be here. It's, it's great to have you here. And may, maybe for, for obviously me and Chris, we, we spoke to you before the show. We did a, a bit of research. So I've been following you a little bit also on the social media, but maybe a brief introduction. Who are you and uh, who is uh, Pexapark? Yeah, so I'm Luca. Uh, I have a background in energy trading origination. I've never done something else. I got hooked with the renewable energy trading world in 2008, starting at uh, then EGL, which then became Expo. And uh, I was, I I jumped onto a project and it was about a PPA. And this PPA enabled a wind farm in Poland 
which was at that point 99% coal. And that really got me hooked because uh, I wanted to do something in the energy transition, which didn't exist then. And this seemed like, wow, that's a, a means to enable investments, renewable investments. And then uh, I've been doing this for eight, 10 years at uh, Expo. And uh, four years ago, uh, we we set up together with my partner, uh, Pexel Park. And what is Pexel Park? Uh, Pexel Park is a, is a Swiss-based fintech, which uh, focuses on providing the transaction infrastructure and the pricing and analytics infrastructure to buy, manage, and sell renewable electricity. And the most fascinating thing is that thanks to the subsidies over the last 20 years, CapEx technology has become cheap. And now there is this private route to the market. And this has caught fire. And we're growing rapidly on our 50 people. And every time still, every transaction somehow where we're involved enables a, a new asset. And that's just which keeps me hooked on this energy transition. Which is a pretty cool thing, I have to admit. And I'll come back to you, and I'm probably sure Chris will as well, in terms of who's actually buying this and how does it work. But I got this question from a, from, from a, a friend of mine during the week, and I mean, we came in talking about energy and, and, and PPAs in general, and he heard about it. But when he described it to me, it was really not what I kind of expected it to be. So maybe a little bit of clarification. When we're talking about a PPA, short-term, how would you clarify? How would you kind of explain it to, to someone outside? What is it? Well, I, I, I read about Google because they do a lot in, uh, in buying energy and uh, they have this nice site and say, what is a PPA? And the answer from Google is it's a power purchase agreement. And that's what it is. It's really simple. It's a seller and the buyer agreeing to the transfer of electrons. And this is uh, recorded in a document. That's, that's, that's the essence of a PPA. If you want to have a more longer discussion, it's, <laughs> it comes really from the financial world and it's really boring. It's a tool to structure cash flows related to energy. Uh, and if you hear my pitch, it's, it's, it's a lever, it's a machine for the energy transition. So which one do you like best? <laughs> I like both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think there's three choices. Yeah. <laughs> All three. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I, I think from our audience point of view, I think everybody thinks you know something until you look at the devils in the detail, right? So it, it's a buzz term that pretty much anybody I know in energy would say, oh yeah, PPA, we, we know what that is, right? And then usually in the back of our mind, it's it's got something to do with helping those renewables out, right? We got to fund these projects. You, you talked about starting your career or your, your company choice by one wind farm in Poland. And you said, hey, this PPA thing got involved. So maybe a little bit more, you know, for, for the people that aren't quite up to speed, why do we put this in a line with maybe renewables? Why do I hear, oh, well, subsidies are changing. Now I got to worry about PPAs. Why, why, maybe a little bit more color would be helpful. Yeah. So... When the whole renewable thing started, let's say 20 years ago, uh, the key risk was on, on the technology on understanding what technology costs, uh, what the maintenance costs will be, how much uh, wind there will be. And government said, hey, you investors, you focus on technology risk and we take care 
uh, on the energy sales side, we just buy and give you a tariff. And that worked out fantastically. Technology became cheap. We had the financial crisis 2008. Uh, there was a reprioritization of where to spend money. And many governments said, well, maybe we don't need those tariffs anymore because you have become so cheap. But the industry said, well, these tariffs enabled us very cheap funding on the capital market because we had secured revenue and that's needed to get leverage to get debt financing. So what could replace that? I said, well, apparently there are traders and utilities out there that would buy electricity from me for 10 years, 15 years, which would enable the same game to go on, sign a contract, secure your long-term revenue, get financing, get leverage, enable the asset. So the long-term PPA was born uh, thanks to phasing out of subsidies, cheaper, uh, cheaper technologies, and traders popping up saying, yes, it's interesting, let's have a look, I will give you a price. And this has happened initially in the Nordic market, which was more advanced, more liquid from, from, from a trading perspective, and then it spread all over Europe because technology renewables were deployed in, in, in more countries and the PPA boom spread across different countries. And so how does that tie into subsidies and why are people usually worried about subsidies and PPAs in the same conversation? Well, there's now, there are two routes to realize uh, an asset. So maybe you still find an auction or a subsidy uh, that could enable your investment or you find a, a private off-taker that could do the same. So there are now multiple options for a potential investor on how to realize and finance his asset. And uh, it brought choice because if you don't win in an auction, there's still the possibility that you could realize the project by doing it privately with a private off-taker. And this has been accelerating because a few years ago, also a new buyer segment entered the market which are the corporate buyers that said, whoa, the utilities buy, we can do this as well uh, because we want to become green. We want to go net zero. Uh, sustainability is important to us and we have own use demand. We want to buy energy directly and still under the same concept. So this is interesting because... Uh as I alluded to in the beginning of this, I, I can understand the, the investment part of it. And, and obviously, being also European, uh, grew up kind of reading a lot about the subsidies, especially for wind. Uh, I'm Nordic as well, so it was a big part of, of, of the Nordic region. But as you mentioned, the corporates are now coming in. Uh, and, and I have tons of questions in terms of who and what and, and when. But, but, but if we look at it from, from, from the corporate point of view, uh, why? Uh, it's it's a commitment which is a long term commitment which should bring a lot of risk. So so why, why would the, I can understand for the investor I can imagine you know for, from the energy trading point of view but but why the corporates? Good question and uh, there are different buyers and different motives to buy. So we we have economic buyers 
and we have, let's say, ESG-driven buyers. And there are different segments. Now, the economic buyers, they're just a rational buyer looking for price hedging because, um, for example, electricity costs are very high in the end product. So, for example, aluminium producer, copper producer, all those metal. Norsk Hydro is a good example uh, in the Nordics. They just have a, an economic interest in, in managing their, their costs. And, uh, and they, 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 ca- they came in as a natural buyer. And then we have a, a new segment, which uh, was very much uh, sustainability driven that said, I really care about my value chain, uh, how electricity is procured or how things are done. Uh, I would like to decarbonize. And uh, if by chance your electricity cost is very low, maybe this economic aspect is not so important and you can afford it. And then also it has a big impact. So it's a simple one contract which can have a huge impact on your decarbonization. So it's a very effective, simple solution, uh, which is something which is very important uh, because every company has a lot of things to do. So if you have a, a blueprint how to decarbonize with a single contract, that's, of course, attractive. So, so I appreciate the business side a little bit, if, or, or quite a bit, but what I, I would wonder from our audience's point of view, maybe it makes sense to talk a little bit about what the company you founded does. So we're kind of talking about pretty you know, basic fundamentals so far, but what do you guys do? What, what do you do to solve a problem? What problem is it that you four years ago said, hey, this needs solving. I need to leave my job and go fix this. Uh, well, uh, if you lift the curtain <laughs> Of behind the PPA, uh, you see that we're active in a very peculiar commodity market, which is electricity, and then combined with renewables. So there are uh, risks attached to renewables, and we call it the holy trinity of renewable energy risks. And the trinity consists of price risks, the so-called capture cannibalization risk, and volume risk. So We don't know how prices will develop over the future. No one has a crystal ball. We don't know exactly how much volume will be produced next year, next month, next day, next hour. And cannibalization, a wonderful word. So the more of the same technology in a given uh, venue will decrease the value of this technology. So the more wind parks I have in the same area, they will cannibalize their own value. And these things together make it very complicated or let's say uh, an interesting subject for experts to debate what the correct value is and how to correctly price and how to correctly manage this. And this has been an exotic field for a few traders, utilities who had the quants, who had the traders, who had the systems to manage. And... Now this is suddenly something which affects hundreds of enterprises. And that was our opportunity that we said, oh, the systems, the skills which are used by those very sophisticated utility and trading companies will be needed by more investors and more corporates if they want to do this properly uh, with correctly pricing risks of, of renewables 
and not doing a bad deal. So it's basically a democratization of of buying, managing, and selling uh, large volumes of renewable electricity, and we provide the tool sets to do so. So you, you're basically the, the the virtual quants and virtual uh, trading arm or virtual it, research arm. Say, we, we have a software where we call it's a quant in a box. Yeah. So uh, we provide curves, we provide analytics, monitoring systems. So it's it's. Exactly as you say, it's uh, it's 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 those tools needed to, uh, to to do the stuff. And so, how transformative is that? So, were there people not getting into the industry because they didn't have the skills, or were they just making bad investment choices? What, what's the difference four years later? Good point. So, in the end, uh, there was there is a big value pool in energy transactions and energy management. And the question is, who is who is capturing this value pool? And, and we help to have our clients capture some of this value pool back. So, and in the end, uh, we enable a more rational uh, transaction space, which is more transparent. People see what is the fair price for a transaction. People see what is the correct allocation. So. How much energy shall I buy and how shall I manage those risks which I managed? And for that, you need a, a proper infrastructure. And this is really required because if you just sign a PPA, you might, it's like a financial instrument, you might do a wrong decision which has uh, negative impacts on your balance sheet, on, on your PL. So, and that. Mistakes has been happened, which has accelerated uh, uh, learnings. But we're very happy to say that the market is is learning fast. Uh, it's becoming more transparent, more professional. And in the end, I just have this saying, look, when I started 15 years or 20 years ago, it's like the joke was renewables don't work. Uh, just physically. I mean, it doesn't work yeah? like these wind parks. And second joke was it's too expensive. And now the, the ultimate frontier is how do we make it in a rational market-based manner, 100% renewable. And for that, at the core, what you need is risk management, energy trading, energy sales will be a part of, of this final transition. And that's where software infrastructure is needed. So when we look a, a little bit on the... Uh... Uh, on, on your clients without, you know, we don't have to go through the names, but as, as all the corporates and all the, it's the maturity level, there's a financial instruments. We, we look at one of the larger ones, which is Amazon <laughs> and, and the Googles. And then we have, you mentioned aluminum plants, etc. If you are, who is catering for, or who are you catering in terms of this one? Uh, because if I, I would assume Amazon has, a, a trading floor or, or, or trading expertise second to none uh, yeah. and, and then can do it on their own. So, so is there a sweet spot here? Is it only the big ones or is it, is it others as well? That's, it's a good, good question. So think of the entire European electricity demand is a thousand terawatts plus minus. And we see three large segments. So there's one, which is like the general corporate consumption from the bakery, from a, a generic SME. Um, 
main issue is there is no green supply for them. It's a huge transaction cost issue. It's not tapped, not served. Then there is the classical industrial demand where they need copious amounts. Energy costs are of an issue. They would like to do something. And there is the third segment, which is the gargantuan future demand of electrolyzer and data centers, which need so much electricity that they're in their own league. Think Amazon. Uh, and these two later segments, the gargantuan uh, electricity uh, procurers and the classical industry, this is where we focus because they buy large volumes, the notional volumes are higher. This is where you start. And then you, you go downwards to apply the solutions and make them accessible to the wider segment. And every segment has its different challenges and the most fascinating challenges for the large procurer like the Amazons and the electrolyzers or BSF in Germany is they all want to go green. And I'm telling you, there's not enough green energy to, to, to do the energy transition. Huge challenge, huge, huge challenge. So, so it sounds like you've got the three different segments of the market from the industrial market. It sounds like you, you just talked about, you know, one or two of the segments where, where the large ones are using tremendous amount of demand. So, so they would then sign up with you to pre-purchase or, or help fund to get the green they need for the future. Is that, is that the bet they're making saying, okay, we understand that if we just ride the, the course they're on today, we won't get it or we won't get it at an affordable rate. And, and we want to assure that we get what we need for our business. That's what's motivating them. Yeah. yeah. So the first thing is always like, uh, w- what is the right strategy? What is the right price? What is, uh, what is the right fit for me? That's uh, where we say spend 80% of your time. Uh, and then there's the execution, which is the actual transaction. So these are the two uh, areas which where, where we are active in where we can help uh, on, on the transaction side. And so what's the impact, you know, give me a theoretical, you know, so I'm one of these large businesses. What, what are kind of the economies of scale here? What are we talking about when we engage you and we do a PPA and we plan it right? Are we saving millions, hundreds of millions? What's the yeah. economies of scale? So I would say uh, there, we, we call it the structuring premium, which we see everywhere between 1.5 euro and 4 euro. And we see an execution premium, which are mainly transaction costs, which is up to 1 euro. And uh, now you multiply this with the energy volume contracted. And uh, a typical PPA for, let's take a a 100 megawatt wind park producing 250 gigawatts over 10 years is 2.5 terawatt hours. Having a saving of 1 euro, that's 2.5 million euros, and we're talking multiples of it. So it's it's massive amounts of, of money in this value pool, which we can make available to, to capture and realize for our clients. But would that also be, obviously, you're, you're targeting the, the, the large, which which is, is quite obvious, that's where, where, where the needs and the money is. But, but do you also see that this now, especially on the sustainability part of it, is also 
kind of creeping down in the energy consumers um, or it's a cha- no it's not it's and that's a real challenge because um, what the large buyers can do is um, they there is a mismatch between the sellers and the buyers because the sellers want these long-term PPAs and only a few large buyers actually can do that and as soon as we would go into shorter term PPAs this will not allow the sellers to do their classical business model of leverage and financing it. So this is not sorted out yet because the, the matching which we do now between sellers and buyers is based on a business model which wants secured long-term revenues to enable new investments. But and the smaller buyers... Yeah. How does that work in a day and age where... Where, you know, we used to have companies that are around forever, right? You know, you say BASF, it's been around, it's had a huge history. But, you know, in the last 20 years, there's companies we thought that would be meaningful forever that are not here anymore, right? And, and so, you know, what, what I do see are demand predictions for uh, green electricity or electrification across the world is skyrocketing. So there, there's clearly going to be demand if you believe just about anything I've seen. Um but I don't know that I believe that, you know, that I know Google is indefinitely here or that I know Amazon is indefinitely here. Yeah, it seems like it today, but I would have said that about some of the, the old school companies that people probably had in their pension fund back, you know, in the last generation that are gone today. So, yeah. so you're asking for, you know, 10, 15 year commitment from a company. The average life expectancy of a company is getting shorter and shorter. So that, that that seems like a pretty big disconnect for me, and I, I'm just sitting here on the sidelines, and I don't have any data. But you just you held up your fingers for our podcast people saying, you know, less than than 15 years. Yeah. Um, the maybe verbally, you can explain what you're thinking. Yeah, the average lifetime of a company is seven years nowadays. Uh, so how does that PPA work then? Because if, if what you an average. what you what you issue uh, what you outline here is called credit risk, and if you go to a lender and say, I have secured this wonderful 10-year PPA, please give me debt. The first thing the bank, of course, looks at is how secure is this uh, offtake? Uh, how much credit do we give it? And that's the other challenge that credit is scarce. Uh, bank guarantees are expensive. Uh, no industrial really wants to give it because it comes with opportunity costs. So that's the other big challenge uh, with long-term PPA with un- industries that who provides the credit, there's not enough credit around to enable all those long-term PPAs. So where's the incentive? Uh, so this I can understand, but just coming back a little bit to Chris' question here in terms of this is seems to be based on a, a traditional business model, which is very good for the banks. <laughs> it's very good for the energy company, but it might not be the customer-driven one, which is actually the corporates. Uh, so, so we're, we're trying to build a, a PPA business model based on—I wouldn't say historic, because it might be in the future as well—but more or less on on a, on a traditional business model, which is very, very good for a few, but questionably good for for the ones actually going to buy it. How has this looked? Uh, it's changing, and, and you're putting the finger right on the spot. It's that. Uh, this business model uh, is a niche. It, it, it enabled a lot, but to disseminate and become bigger, we're moving away from the long-term tenors. But that 
is ushering in radical changes on the investment side of renewables. And basically it means that the project financed uh, phase of renewable is ending or changing, and it's going more towards much larger vertically integrated players that finance their uh, assets investments on the balance sheet. And they can do transactions which are three years, five years, six years, uh, because they don't require project financing. And this will ultimately allow to grow uh, the PPA business uh, for more industrials that don't want to do a 10-year, but uh, don't want to provide so much credit protection, but would be also interested to do a three- or five-year deal. And that's actually a positive development because it will enlarge the, the potential uh, field of buyers. And this is, for us, this is a momentous change because the industry has been running on this for 20 years. And it's called, the asset class of renewables is called fixed income. And it's not anymore because it's getting extremely expensive to do a long-term PPA in terms of liquidity cost and credit cost. So if you're a smart investor and uh, you, 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 you can finance on the balance sheet and you see this opportunity, uh, there is much better contracts to be had in the midterms, five to seven years. And this is what we're seeing. And that's basically, it's, it's, it's transformative but it's beneficial for the energy transition. So from your business point of view, what that would mean is, you know, if, if I'm doing a longer term deal, that 80% of time is, is worth more to me. So you probably have to be more efficient in your platform because I'm going to spend less time focused on a three to five year deal because the numbers aren't as big. So if, if I'm a professional spending my time evaluating, I have less time for that. Is that a safe assessment? Yep. And uh, initial deals we started to do manually. So it was uh, transaction managers doing those big deals. Uh, but we are a, a SaaS company. Uh, we're providing software. Uh, it's transaction infrastructure. Um, and that's exactly, uh, you want to optimize the workflows. And uh, we're happy with this because it will enlarge the overall market uh, just because of the change of having not just long-term, but also shorter-term PPAs. So. How big is your market right now? So you're a four-year-old company. Are you pretty much everywhere in Europe, everywhere globally? Where, where are you at? We're uh, everywhere in Europe. We cover all European markets. Um, we just crossed today the 100 enterprise threshold. Uh, um, but uh, that's just the beginning. Uh, I think uh, we have set our sales towards across the continent. Um, that would be our ambition over the next two years. It's a growth story. We're just closing second funding. Uh, we're adding another 30 people. Uh, yeah, I think the energy transition just started. Uh, we're, we're at the very beginning. So, so who do you talk to? At, so you've got 100 enterprises. Who is it that, that's your customer? Who, who's the decision maker that says, yes, this is for me? Who, what, what's the title of the enterprise job that you're talking to? Yeah, we started on the sell side, as we call it, which are investors uh, and uh, into renewables. And these are mostly it, it's uh, institutional investors. It's our pension money, which is channeled into renewables. So there is the, 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 the people who want to invest. They, they became our clients and now increasingly corporates. 
But on the corporate, is it the CFO? Is it head of treasury? Who do you, what what job description interacts with you guys? The head of procurement. And they're they're knowledgeable about energy at this point in their careers. Very big differences. It depends typically on how important is uh, electricity cost in the overall cost of goods. If this is high, they are absolute pros. If it is low, uh, it was not important yet. But you also see, I can understand procurement managers, I, I, you know, they, they dip their toe in everything. And, and if you're in another department, it's always a little bit of hassle, but that's part of it. But we're also seeing, you mentioned this is a financial instrument uh, for, for the, the corporates, but it's also a sustainable uh, part of it. And, and coming, as we started the show with on the COP26 about sustainability and, 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 and the decision made, is this also shifting? Is new sustainability manager having an impact it might be a leading question but uh how is this changing do you see that from from your point of view yeah i think thanks to esg the sustainability aspect has been driving interest on the buy side so they definitely uh these people the sustainability people drove demand uh on, uh, on the procurement side but ultimately, uh, it's still a transactional aspect, which has an impact, which will have to go through the CFO office, which you need to explain to the controllers, uh, to accounting. Uh, so that still is in the traditional field of procurement. But as you mentioned as well, if, if in the beginning where, where you said that uh, the sustainability is becoming crucial, uh, and we see that it, it goes down to financing, it goes down to, to the, the value of your company, that there's so many things around this. Do you also see that sustainability manager can push also the pricing saying, you know what, we we, we will procure a five, 10, whatever year contract with a slightly higher price guaranteeing green energy because it it has a bigger value than just the financial or we still, this is purely financial. The rest is just greenwashing. (laughs) Now, um, let me say it with the example of Amazon. Uh, it's ruthless uh, auctions that drive out the last penny from the from the investors that bid for those auctions. But Amazon has committed in their countries where they have electricity loads that they will buy renewable. And if uh, in that country, wherever they go, Germany, Poland, Italy, the required price. Uh, to realize the investment is above the market, they will nevertheless buy it. So it's both. Yeah? So without the sustainability commitment, we wouldn't get those volumes. But the way the volumes are procured are correctly in a, in a full market-derived, uh, in a market-driven environment. So your, your platform, you, you said the software is a service platform. Are people connecting to it through an API or are they just logging to an interface? What, what tools are they using to use your tool? So it goes from a simple uh, price um, uh, viewing on a platform to sophisticated uh, integration into their systems. Uh, and of course, APIs where uh, the, the clients can then access basically all the energy data, transaction data they need. And then is it a easy on board? Like what, you know, they're, they're coming to you because they, they, they understand there's, there's value there, but this seems like 
they didn't have the quant in the box, so they wouldn't be coming to you if they had one on staff. So how, how does that work? What, what's the educational process to, to actually get value out of what you do? We have been at the forefront. So education has been superbly important because it has been a challenger sale on our side. We were a bit ahead of the curve. So we didn't, were not able to sell just a solution which is finished. But initially we had to explain but the market has moved beyond. And uh, that's also a good sign because uh, most of those corporate buyers, they, that's not their core business. So basically what the CFO asks, what the procurement person asks is that the boxes have been checked. And there is actually on the renewable industry, on the, on the sellers and investors, there's a big myopia. They think about their needs. And uh, this uh, took quite a while to actually think more solution-oriented, product-oriented, client-oriented, what the buyer really wants. But there is great progress. But I cannot deny we're dealing with large transactions. And if you're dealing with large transactions, with large notional, there is, um, it's an enterprise sale. There, it's, not a, it's not a retail product. And by saying that is... Yes, it takes many weeks to get a transaction done. We're typically talking four to 12 weeks uh, with an involvement uh, on, on the buy side, which goes up to the CFO. So now you, you said you're adding 30 headcount. How many engineers does your company have today? Uh, the ratio is uh, roughly a, a third are engineers. Another yeah. third are uh, front office people that do transactions. And uh, the, the rest is the, from marketing to sales operations to uh, the, 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 the needed overhead you have in a company. Are they located here in Switzerland as well? Well, we started in Zurich and then the pandemic came and now we're like active in 10, 10 countries. Uh, we have two big hubs here in Zurich and in, uh, and in, uh, in London. And we really embraced on, uh, on this opportunity given by by remote work and it was very easy before the pandemic in the office during the pandemic not in the office and now it's complicated but, <laughs> but it works really well and we're very happy with the situation because we, it's just possible to draw on the best talent everywhere that's oh, great it's great to hear. just out of coming back a little bit to, to you mentioned customers and you're growing which i think is obviously really really interesting would you say that there are, we, we talked about Amazon for quite a bit uh, and, and it's usually uh, one of the big ones, but do you see anything else on terms of verticalization? Are there specific, apart from the software and these, you know, new consumers, if, if, we, if, if the lack of better word, but do you see any other verticals that is, that is actually taking a stake in this, in this business? Yeah. So we see verticals on the buy side. Um, uh, let's say, Let's look at the electrolyzer uh, industry. Uh, they will not be able to procure the energy purely on contractual basis, PPAs. They need to backward integrate and own green assets. So they need to pre-finance them, take equity stakes in them. This has industrial scale and cannot be contracted alone. Uh, similar to large chemical industry, when you look at BSF, uh, when you look at the news, they buy 50% of the equity of a large offshore park. They need so much electricity that cannot be contracted. 
So on the large gargantum green energy demand, we will see verticalization that those uh, companies will own green production themselves. On the sell side, uh, we also see vertical integration that driven by the way assets are financed, you need to have more scale. You need to cover more of the value chain. You need to develop the project, operate the project and sell the energy. So we see new kinds of utilities, green utilities merging up. Interestingly, out of the financial sector. Um, uh, but on paper, the classical utilities, they have a good go because they bring all the skill set to also thrive in the new industry. It's more a, a mindset if they can combine internally the departments uh, and align them on the new strategy. So for, for the smaller players, is there any tokenization or kind of plays that are taking place to help that help this problem? Or is it only a big scale problem like you talked about shorter term right and so other trends in other industries we see tokenization so is that something that helps in in park development or renewable development at this point very good question um very good question i i mean definitely just from the asset because it's capital intensive this is driving scale um but Probably on the more interesting uh, value capture side, uh, you would see the upstarts and the new players. Um, and you see this in our space, in the transaction space, software space. So something new is happening there and it's, uh, it's, it's technology driven. Cool. Johan, what else you got? What do you want to know? Oh, I got so many questions. I, I'm just sitting making notes. I think this is really interesting, but I, I need to come back a little bit again. To, to we, we mentioned the verticals. We, we talked a little bit in the beginning of Nordics being a little bit in the forefront, at least before. Uh, I see that Spain is also kind of a, a country that is doing pretty good, and, and never mind the rest of the world focusing on Europe. But do you see also, you know, differences between the take up also in countries uh, and why are not some of the countries taking off? And, and maybe why are someone like Spain now taking off, <laughs> apart from they have um, quite a bit of sun? Well, the geography definitely, uh, uh, just uh, the, the pure geography place uh, is important. Uh, so we had first a wind boom in the Nordings, driven by it was the cheapest technology to build there. Then it was solar in Spain. There was lots of land available, uh, semi-desert areas, and the price is matched. Uh, but I think this is just, it's, uh, it's a cloudy picture because uh, the whole thing of the energy transition is not coordinated. There is no plan. And it's only started. I mean, uh, we got the highlights now again back on energy security. We had Texas this year. Yeah. And look, the last 10 years were easy. We had renewable penetration of 5 6%. But now it's 40, 50% in certain markets and firm capacity is being shut down uh, and you will need much more coordination, much more backup, much more intelligence, much more interconnection. And that's not really planned. It's every country is doing its thing. Uh, so that can be quite some rocky times ahead uh, over the next 10 years for the energy transition. So, so how much of this then is local and how much of it do you see as, as cross-border 
or, or even I mean, the cross-border, you just need to understand this will be the biggest and easiest cost reduction measure to enable more renewables quickly. Yeah. Uh, just adding a few interconnectors, that, that would help so much. But we're just, I mean, in Germany, they're trying to do north-south, uh, and this will take 20 years. Uh, it, it's so complicated to get it done, but that would help tremendously to build interconnectors. But you can understand this just as a cost reduction measures. So so I guess I I hear some of the the pain points from just the world or industry as a whole. So you know you're you're on a pleasant trajectory, but you just described 100 enterprise customers and growing. Um, You're bringing on more staff, more funding, so it allows you to grow more, all, all the goodness. So where are you going? What what's next? So you, you described what's on the truck, but what's the vision? Where where do you take this, and where do you see this in the future? Well, I I, I hope we we can have impact and do our part to enable a, a rational market based energy transition over the next ten years. Uh, it's our core belief that the whole risk and transaction side will be at the core of the function, new future emerging uh, energy model. And um, I mean, look, we have now, I know we did 12 gigs of, uh, of transaction and that's just a little piece of the overall cake. So I think the, if the market triples, that will be a bad outcome. So we just hope to become yeah, the operating system of uh, of buying, managing, selling r- large amounts of renewable electricity. And who's the competitor today? To if if we don't sign up with you, what, what's the alternate choice? It, it doesn't really exist yet. So that's <laughs> uh, it, uh, we see the uh, here and there popping up, but in a, in a holistic manner, which covers the entire end to end workflow, uh, we don't see it yet. Well, I'm, I'm pretty much tapped out of questions because I know we're running out of time, but I'm going to throw it back to my colleague, Johan, because I'm sure he's always got one more and to get his closing thoughts as well. I was thinking of one question that I always ask because I'm the one who's never done it. I know that Chris has done it and I know that Luke has done it, kind of jumped off the bandwagon of the corporate <laughs> wheels and set off to start uh, y- your own company. Uh I, I tend to ask this question maybe because I don't know if it's a subliminal thing that, you know, you know, should I jump off? No, <laughs> but how, were you so sure on the business case that this was a no brainer or, you know, working for a large energy company is quite, quite all right. Safe at yeah. least. <laughs> yeah. I, we had the idea long brewing in our heads, but then it was very simple because we walked into an investor who, the first investor and he said, that's really cool. Let's do it. And with the funding security, it was very easy to jump uh, and do it. Uh, so I, I was not so brave. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 it, it was made easy for me. Well, you but made I, it but easy, I, have I think. To say, <laughs> but I have to say, uh, being a founder of a fintech here in Switzerland, uh, Switzerland is a fairly friendly place. If, if you've got a solid business plan, um, it's a great place to be. I've done some in Silicon Valley. I've done some out of the Boston market and, and, and I've enjoyed getting this company going here in Switzerland. So I, I think it's a, it's a friendly place, especially for energy and commodities because of the focus. 
And it seems to me from where I sit that there, there is funding for the right business models, especially towards renewables and sustainability. And, I mean, I also just want to break, uh, also for, I mean, we, it's a fantastic place to be, not, uh, not because I'm Swiss, but people want to come and work here. We had, uh, Inno Swiss, it's called, it's a, a it's like a, the federal Swiss support for startups. And I have said, ah, what is that? They give you vouchers. Yeah. So what, what is that? But the coaches we got, be it on the legal side or seasoned entrepreneurs that just hop by once a month, this has been invaluable. And the, over the last four or five years, the ecosystem has been created here. And I think that's just, uh, it's cool. It's entrepreneurial. The only thing what is more difficult in Switzerland is it's it's okay to raise 500,000 euro, a million uh, from Swiss money. But if you want to go bigger and bolder uh, and you need more money, unfortunately, those type of investors you will not find in Switzerland. And all those cool Swiss companies in, in many ways end up with uh, European or American capital. So that's probably the only... A drawback I see here. Yes, that does happen along the way because we, we ended up getting institutional investors as well from outside of Switzerland. But I, I think from from cradle to adolescence, it, it, I couldn't think of a better experience for, for a young company. I mean, just my experience. So I don't know if it's been yours, but it seems like Zurich and Switzerland has been a great place for that and being in the energy industry. Yeah, and I enjoy looking at all those countries where we employ uh, new people. And it's great building a company in the UK. Uh, we're, we just recently opened an office in Denmark, and it's it's fascinating to see how how countries go and do, uh, and uh, it's it's a thriving economy uh, out there, and uh, I, I think there's so much good uh, if if you're allowed to have people work uh, together and come across borders. So, so I, I do have one question though, and it's it's probably uh, I, I said I was done, but. So if you had one do-over, if there's one thing you could do differently from the company that you founded four years ago, what would you do differently? My first term sheet, I would uh, negotiate differently now with all the experts. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I've had a lot of fun on this journey. I, I hope our listeners learned as much as I did. Uh, thank you so much for me. Thank you, Luca, uh, for, for coming on the show. Uh, we learned a lot, uh, great discussions, and uh, thanks again for uh, for attending. Equally, thanks a lot for me. Uh, doing such a podcast is like a, a velvet because uh, my wife falls asleep if I go on about those energy topics. <laughs> so thanks a lot for, for uh, having me uh, just talking uh, about this stuff. That's the reason why we started the podcast, because no one listens to us at home. So we, this is an opportunity to chat. So good point. But, you know, hopefully our audience uh, found it as thrilling as we did and everyone's awake and sitting on the edge of their chair. If you did find this thrilling, I want to ask you to please share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Uh, the more listeners that we have, the better the guests we get and you continue to get quality content like we're bringing you. Uh, don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And once again, you spent another hour listening to Insider's Guide to Energy and we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thank you. 